I have said and written a lot about free will over the years. Many of you find my argument against free will to be very provocative and even off-putting, 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 off-putting. What I hope to impress upon you is that the illusion of free will is itself an illusion. The illusion of free will is itself an illusion. Itself an illusion. If it makes you uncomfortable to think about these things, just skip this journey with me. My argument against free will. Just skip this. And against free will. Just skip this. And against free will. Just skip this. The popular conception of free will rests on two assumptions. The first is that each of us was free to think and act differently than we did in the past. Just skip this. The second assumption is that we are the conscious source of many of our thoughts and actions in the present. All of our conscious experiences, our thoughts, intentions, desires, and the actions and choices that result from them are caused by events of which we are not conscious and which we did not bring into being. You didn't pick your parents, you didn't pick your genes, therefore, and you didn't pick the environment into which you were born. And yet the totality of these facts determines who you are in each moment and what you do in the next. The next thing you think and do can only emerge from this totality of prior causes. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 724 a purely determined response to Sam Harris's final thoughts on free will, part one. And today I'm joined by Eric, a very intelligent listener who really wanted to have this discussion with me, so he reached out and we really had it. And you're going to really hear it. And it's really going to start right now. Really. Okay, I'm recording now. Perfect. So, <clears throat> All right. So I'm here with, with Eric and a few people from Patreon who may or may not join in in the course of this conversation. We are going to be talking about free will. Sam Harris's episode 241 on making sense. It was 241, right, Eric? I believe so. I, I'm so bad with numbers, so I'm going to give you <laughs> yeah. benefit of the doubt. It sounds like 241. I think it was 241. It. Yeah. But, but so okay. you emailed me about a week ago and you said, have you listened to this thing yet? Because I want to talk about it. And I know who you are. But I don't know that any listeners know who you are, Eric. So do you want to introduce yourself really quick and share whatever details you want? Yeah. So I um, and I think um, a little bit of framing might be helpful too. why this this particular episode was so 
I don't know, um, interesting to me, but yeah, yeah, I'm Eric. Hi, listeners. I've been listening to Infants on Thrones for quite some time. Um, I was Mormon for a bit, um, like most of us. Uh, left when I was 19. The mission just wasn't for me. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to make my way of it in the most positive way possible. <laughs> and and with, uh, I, I think yeah. you have such an interesting job. And I know there's some strange things going on with it. Do you want to talk about it at all? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I, I work for a language nonprofit. Um, we, we teach Chinese language um, to uh, American students of all ages. So um, learners from as young as I think one of our, our students is like nine, all the way up to I think our one of our oldest is 74. And we try to help um, with language acquisition, mastery, that kind of stuff. But we got heavily politicized over the last ooh, maybe two years or so, especially around election time. So a lot of my job now uh, or was, you know, um, being in press battles with the State Department um, over misformation that they were spreading and um, and some pretty prominent people that you've yeah, with, right? Uh, Mike Pompeo yeah. rings a bell. Yeah, yeah, he he's not a fan of my work or me as a person. Because yeah. um, people people yeah. people associate you because your company is Chinese, and then they think that you're spies. Yes, I've been yeah. accused many a time. I'm here. If I am a spy, this is probably um, I'm not very good at it. Clearly, uh, yeah. I think number one rule of spying is to deny you're a spy. Yeah. Don't bring it up in open conversation. Um, yeah. I'm or making that, I'm breaking that rule. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it no, it it's been a very interesting thing. I've got to see how the media worked uh, inside and out. Um, the way in which they report, don't report. Um, kind of the manner in which they select, um, uh, you know, things that they can use to weave the narrative that they are trying to sow and um, ways in which they conveniently ignore other things. And this is across spectrums. I'm not being um, partisan at this point because I have been on the uh, uh, the battle end of both political spectrums. So um, yeah, just a lot of, a lot of um, trying to navigate that and um, somehow come out the other side. And uh, I've scored some victories against people, uh, again, like, like I said, like my, Mike Pompeo, which is a weird thing to even say at my tender age of 31. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, that's my job. I, I really love it. The, you know, I, and um, I'm very passionate about people learning Chinese. I was a Chinese major. Um, and uh, it was a very influential language, philosophy, culture, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, just trying to make it out here in the world like the rest of us. Yeah. All right. So, Eric, let's let's frame this conversation. And, and I've I've put together some audio clips like I do every once in a while. So um, we're going to we're going to play the audio clips and then talk about them. And most of them are from Sam Harris's episode 241, Final Thoughts on Free Will. But I did bring in some clips from the book Inner Size and from Michael Singer's The, uh, the Pathway to Surrender, uh, talking okay. about the brain, because that's really what we're talking about today. So, so why don't you set the stage and talk about why, why this topic of free will was interesting to you, why you think it's relevant to a Mormon slash ex-Mormon audience or a Mormon slash ex-Mormon worldview. Yeah. 
So I, I really did a lot of thinking as to why this was so, again, why this stuck with me. Um, a lot of Sam Harris's work on concepts around free will, consciousness, that kind of stuff has always um, piqued my interest. And I think um, what it came down to was, you know, when I was 14, um, I su suffered a traumatic brain injury and um, I woke up. I, I literally got an extremely severe concussion, uh, woke up two days later and was a completely different person and um, kind of going into Sam Harris's preface at the beginning of this episode where he says that the concept of free will is intricately linked with the concept of self. Yeah. And I think that's something that could um, be parsed um, a little bit more than he did. But I do generally believe that that is um, um, the case. I, I think a lot of our conception of ourselves is locked into the idea of us having free will and having woken up a completely different person, um, you know, and having to navigate, it, it was like, I was a stranger to myself. And it, it was like, I saw the person I was before. And it was like, that was just a stranger who happened to share memories. Yeah. Um, and the reason Did you I snap back that, to the person you were before, are you still, are you still? No. Uh, so you're, you're Eric 2.0. That's what I, I, I yeah, I, I've referred to it as Eric 1 and Eric 2. I know okay. that's uh, going a little Jungian. I don't know if you've read. Um, or Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss actually be, is way better. Be actually, we hat. might get canceled. We might get canceled for Dr. Seuss. So let's go oh, back to Jung. Right. Yeah, true. sorry. He, he had some something about one foot, two foot was a little too much. But yeah. that's all I'll say. Sorry. Yeah. Not political at all. Um, <laughs> but... Um, no, I never went back. I, I, I genuinely woke up another uh, a new person and have been trying to navigate it since. And the reason I think it, it is so fundamentally, especially for um, ex-Mormons or, or believing Mormons who are kind of, you know, think about these types of things, the concept of free will or um, uh, personal agency is what they frame it as in the Mormon yeah. church is so integral to the plan of salvation. It's so integral to their ethics, their, their, um, you know, the, the morality that they superimpose on their members. Um, not, I'm not using that word judgmentally, but it, it is so intrinsic to the core of the Mormon faith. And to have that moment where you wake up somebody else and you realize that not only yourself, and we can use the analog of soul was malleable to the degree that it was, but also realizing that I, I wasn't um, to be completely acting in a totally different manner um, afterwards. It really brought up a lot of deep questions at an early age as to whether or not, you know, the Mormon paradigm was real. Um, and in a lot of ways that might've been one of the pinnacle flag or signposts of my exit journey was recognizing that some of these immutable qualities. That's interesting. So is it, is it because you felt like your your personality pre-brain injury was um, an extension of your eternal spirit and soul? And then when your personality changed, you wondered how could that happen if it was really part of your eternal soul? I think it was a lot. That That is a, the, the Mormon paradigm from how I understand it and how I was taught. And yeah. uh, I've realized that everybody is um, practicing their own version of Mormonism, sure. if you really barrel down. But the way I understood it was, there was me in this lifetime, and then there was the eternal, my soul. 
that was organized in the pre-existence. It was a predetermined self, a predetermined mm -hmm. entity. Um, they, they really um, hit on that hard as if the self isn't malleable. And so to experience such a profound shift in mm. not only just, it, we're not just talking personality, we're talking everything that was intrinsic to the self I considered before. Give me and some I, examples. I, I, what, what, what changed? So my, my beliefs that resonated with me and didn't resonate with me, um, completely changed. My interests completely changed. Um, and I, I was going to maybe get into this later when it was apparent, but here's a, here's a really good example. Um, I was able to play guitar a little bit before my, my head injury. And after my head injury, I could no longer play sports. So I started kind of looking elsewhere for extracurriculars and whatnot. And one day I sat down at the piano and within two weeks I was performing in front of audiences. Wow. Um, completely, I guess, well, I, I, and this is where the language breaks down to describe it. I, I've, I've told people I was self-taught, but mm -hmm. there was no teaching. There was no, I just knew, I woke up and knew how to play piano. Um, but how do you explain that now? I have no clue. <laughs> it, it actively, I, yeah. I, I would love to have some, oh, well, you know, the brain chemistry and my hardware, maybe some cross-wiring got mixed up during... Just, just say honestly, just say Akashic Records and we'll just nod and just kind of go. Yeah, along we'll just yeah. Uh, just tap into we'll Akashic Records and it just you know I'll collective unconscious. That, yeah. yeah, I've always liked to tell myself my grandfather. I never met him, but apparently he played. He was self taught in piano, and I was you know my Mormon story was oh his spirit came down and taught me how to play while I was mm. kind of unconscious. Um, obviously, I don't really believe that anymore, but. I, yeah, it's it's a really hard thing. There, and I'm not alone. There's many instances of traumatic brain injuries, people waking up and being completely not just fluent, but native in foreign yeah. languages they never spoke before. Um, so it, it, ultimately, my point is, is the self is extremely malleable. Yeah. And, um, you know, as you bear down into causality, um, I, I, Sam Harris kind of adopted a Newtonian cause and effect uh, paradigm when he was describing causality but when we look at it 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 is hard to parse out the self or the choice from the the factors that preceded the choice yeah to such a degree that it's you know i'm not 100 percent if i don't believe in free will but i definitely can say i don't believe in free will as it's popularly conceptualized well that that was the problem that i had with and anytime i've i don't think this is the first time that we've covered Sam Harris's view of free will on the podcast. I think a couple of years ago, we did an episode or two about it. Um, my understanding of free will was never what Sam Harris is presenting on there. So I've always been a little bit lost and, and I want to, I just want to be very clear from the start of this. Like, if it sounds like I'm critical of Sam Harris, I'm not I like in any place where I'm, it sounds like I'm critical. It's just because I don't understand. <laughs> it's it's that I don't understand what he's talking about. That's not a failing of his. That's just I don't. I, I haven't read what he's read. I haven't studied what he's studied. It's it's. Um, I, I understand some things. I don't understand other things. So I, I just want to approach it that way. This is this this is a way for me to try to better understand what the argument is, because to bring it back to the Mormon bit about free agency that that's what they called it when I was growing up in the church was free agency. 
And I think at one at some point they dropped the free part and called them. You, you, what did you call it, Eric? You said personal agency. I think they changed. I, it I think I point. yeah, and I'm I'm having trouble keeping up too. Yeah. I definitely remember free agency, and yeah. I did have a, a, a oh, I almost said lecture. It definitely was a lecture. A a um uh, uh priest um uh, what was it class? Wow, I'm definitely not Mormon anymore. Um, it was um Eric one during the third. I know Eric 1.0 would be on top of this and is judging me somewhere from heaven because clearly he's not alive anymore. Yeah. Um, no, I was in a class and it was just turned into agency and I was I was taught about how there was it wasn't you basically were free to either choose to be with the Lord or not be with the Lord and I was yeah. like this sounds well and you just said the phrase the the phrase that uh, when when I went to EFY especially for youth as a teenager the theme was free to choose. And there was this Kenneth Cope song, I'm free to choose to win or lose, or, you know, whatever it is. Um, I, so I always understood free agency as just whenever a choice is placed before you, choose the right when a choice is placed before right. you, right? And, and a lot of what Black Sam Harris is talking thinking. about is you can't put the choices before you yourself so therefore you don't have free agency and just that that was hard for me to uh free to snooze says jared carter from the peanut gallery thank you jared yes free to snooze we were not at like efy that. free to snooze they would come by and, and uh, make sure we were not snoozing actually i but, think intellectually uh, they were encouraging snoozing <laughs> turn off I your critical think so. thinking no, and just I don't think sit they as really, a robot i don't think they really wanted that either but anyway so th this idea of of choosing what's placed before you um has has always been so fundamental to my understanding of what conscious existence is that to listen to a podcast where Sam Harris is saying that free will doesn't exist. I think his definition of free will and my understanding of free will don't match up. And that's where a lot of the confusion has been on my part, but let's, let's jump into it um, with the first clip here. You ready to, to hear this? Eric? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Second here. Can you hear it? I have yes. said and written a lot about free will over the years. And I wanted to get all of my thoughts or my most effective thoughts, all in one place. Many of you find my argument against free will to be very provocative and even off-putting, and many of you mistake it for a philosophical argument that doesn't make contact directly with experience. So I want to see if I can do this all in one pass and actually bring some of you along with me into the end zone here. All right. So he's setting the stage there, Eric, to to mm -hmm. take you into the end zone. What what did what did you hear in in the clip that I just shared? So this might be you you know unique to me. Um, what it sounds like to me, and from my familiarity with some of his other works, is Sam Harris is arguing for a phenomenological um, approach. Tell me what you mean by the world. word phenomenological. So phenomenology is a, um, it was a philosophical study that rose to prominence, I believe in the 1920s. And what it does is it takes human beings experience at um, face value. It doesn't, it doesn't try to bog it down with um, 
truth claims or, or uh, concrete reality, but it tries to take the experience itself as almost a, um, a valid engram of a, an organism's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It, basically, experience itself is valid um, outside of concerns of um, absolute truth. And it was trying to break away from the notion of there is a one fundamental reality in which A happened, and even if you experienced B in the face of A, A was still the constant. And it was trying to look into, well, why did you experience B? Is B still valid? Did B somehow become spawned out of A? I, this was also around the time where you know Freud and um, Jung were rising to prominence. So you're, you're talking wrong. about the causal relationship between A and B? Um, the causal relationship between A and B, but also not dismissing A or not dismissing B just because A was the consensus. Does that make, does that make no. sense? So no. if I saw a ball get kicked, uh -huh. um, let's say I'm playing kickball back in third grade, um, I see a ball get kicked and it hit a kid in the face, right? Um, that is my experience of what happened. And obviously that's with the fallibility of memory and all that kind of stuff. But let's say I have a, a camera that actually filmed it and maybe the ball went by the kid's face instead, right? It's trying to look at why I experienced what I experienced. It, it, and this is, it's I'm also confused, going back. Eric. Are you saying that the ball okay. did or did not hit the kid in the face? I'm saying did or did not is, is irrelevant to um, viewing experience. You're, you're remembering that it did, but his experience of it was that it didn't? Correct. Potentially, yes. Yeah. Okay. Let me go. Let me go another. I'll, I'll, I'll take another tact. Maybe right. this is not. Okay. <laughs> so one of the issues that happens back in um, with Descartes was the Cartesian divide, which is in a sense, he used a bunch of philosophical proofs to build himself to the conception. And I, I'm using shorthand here, but the conception of I think, therefore I am right. The idea that he at least could be sure that he existed. That was Descartes' big thing. He, he was very much um, in the realm of your sensory inputs could be an, um, an illusion. Um, you could be being tricked by some other entity that exists outside of yourself, whatnot. You really can't trust your senses. And the fundamental proof that Descartes wanted to get to was a proving that he existed. And he did it in um, a way of saying, um, even if I was tricked, there would be have to be there would have to be a subject to be tricked in the first place into believing it existed and therefore I exist. That's kind of the route he went. The problem is, is then when he tried to move out from there and prove the rest of the world existed, you, me, you know, that kind of stuff, he really couldn't do that. Um, and that's, I think that's um, still a philosophical problem that nobody's concretely argued. Um, a lot of people um, will get either, um, you know, consequentialist on it where it's like okay even if that rock doesn't exist if i kick it i'm still going to feel as if it did so i might as well behave as if it does that still doesn't necessarily I'm, i gotta i gotta push time out on the, i am lost eric i don't know what we're talking about oh okay <laughs> let me take this okay 
this is a hard one. Do you, do you have time? We can do a, a whole philosophy. No, <laughs> no, I no. know. No, this is just this is just a little sit, uh, clip from Sam Harris to set the table. I know. But... Okay, let me. Okay, <laughs> let me. I'll I'll go through what I'm uh, what I'm I'm thinking, and we'll see if we get there. Okay. Right? The idea, basically, let's start with, I can maybe prove that I exist, but I can't necessarily prove everything around me exists. But why, 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 why? What do you mean you can't prove that other things around you exist? You, you see it. You don't need to prove it. Why, why do you need to prove it? I don't get it. Well, I, I don't disagree with you. I'm just, I, I'm summing Descartes up. But uh, why? Why are we talking about Descartes? Because it's getting back to phenomenolo phenomenology. Oh, okay. I promise it has. I promise it connects in. Okay. So, All right. basically, this was what Descartes was obsessed with. So Descartes used um, what I would argue is kind of a uh, a cheat. He basically argued that other things around him existed because God existed, and since then, philosophically, we have been stuck with what is called the Cartesian divide, which is where Descartes kind of skipped in the in showing his work and used God as a fill-in to answer questions that he didn't understand or didn't have an answer to and started reasoning from there. So the entire philosophical pursuit of reason is actually linked back to a very bad philosophical argument is what I'm saying. So that was Descartes. So phenomenologists decided, well, let's not worry about the Cartesian divide and let's take people at their experiential self and let's start there instead of worrying whether or not their experience matches um, a conception of objective reality, which is what Descartes was trying to build to. Let's take people at experience. So into that first clip, that's kind of what I'm hearing Sam Harris. And I know he's he's mentioned so phenomenology before. He's trying to start at the experience of the conscious subject so so this is so so you're you're responding to him saying a lot of people say that this is a philosophical argument but i'm i'm telling you this isn't philosophy this is based in everyday experience and that that's where you're saying phenomenology yes okay and and you're saying right. that it, which i would he, argue you're, you're saying it's not a philosophical it's argument philosophical. <laughs> say, say that again eric I would argue to Sam Harris, it is still a philosophical argument, even though he's trying to shortcut to experience, okay. but I do see where he's going. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's, he's trying to say, this isn't just uh, a, a semantic argument. This is based in uh, actual experience. And if, if you pay attention to your thoughts and where they arise, you'll see that you don't really have any free control over even your own thoughts. And so how could there be a freedom, free will? Anyway, we're, we're, we're jumping yeah. the gun on that. Yeah. The, the other thing about that clip that just kind of, it kind of rubs me the wrong way, but Sam Harris is kind of like this anyway, where he's like, my way of viewing things is the right way of viewing things. And if you don't understand it, it means you're wrong. So let me see what I can do. And hopefully I'll carry you into the end zone in this because right. if, if you if you haven't if you don't agree with the way that i see it and you don't understand then you're not you're not in the end zone 100 <laughs> you know? agree with that, that as a that valid just, criticism oh, of sam harris just bugs me. yeah okay all right so let's go on to the next clip here now i found to my surprise that this is a very sensitive topic and so here i want to offer the usual disclaimer if it makes you uncomfortable to think about these things 
you need to be the judge of whether this discomfort is healthy and worth pressing into, or whether it's actually bad for you. And in the latter case, just skip this journey with me. Yeah. So the reason that that jumped out to me what I, is mm-hmm. because he's he's going to be spending so much time here talking about free will not existing. But here he's saying, judge the conversation and make the choice to skip it if it's something that you're deeming is too hard for you. And I'm wondering, what what is the mechanism for making that choice or even the request that he's doing if he's saying that you don't have free will? That is a great question. I, I And I, I don't. I don't know. I, well, I, I, I thought that was a weird part too. But I, I think it speaks to my misunderstanding of what he's fundamentally talking about in the first place. He's, he's not saying that you don't have the ability to choose, the ability to make choices. He's saying that it's not free. And right. I, I think the biggest thing that he's saying, and, and a, a huge value that I see of him talking about this, is the relationship of the small ego to the big self if you if you want to think of it that way and and we're going to get into that more in other clips but i i just thought it was a little ironic that he's starting from the beginning saying if this is too much for you then just go ahead and use your agency use your free will (laughs) yeah i i listened to this a couple times and i found a couple places and i think that is in a sense part of why he is saying that it is so fundamentally possibly concerning to people is our language is yeah. is so inundated with this concept even on a maybe a subconscious level as it's as we're forming sentences the idea of the self the idea of a, a free agent or somebody with free will making this sentence that i'm currently making now yeah that and and it goes through every part of our legal system of the systems that we put up in place of of government of of you know the business world so i think what he's trying to say is this can make you very uncomfortable and i i do agree with him in a certain way that you know the i had i actually had this long conversation with my father still believing mormon about free will where i basically step by step went through sam harris's argument i kind of wanted to see how my dad would react um if i'm being honest and I could see it making him uncomfortable as he didn't really have good counter arguments for what I was proposing, but he clearly didn't want to believe it either. Mm. And so I think he's trying to nod at that discomfort. But the idea that, you know, you're free to make a choice to skip this is kind of ironic in the context of what he goes on to discuss. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, but but I think it's only ironic from the perspective of misunderstanding and and my own misunderstanding of what he's saying about free will. Like, because as I was going back and putting these clips together, I listened very carefully. And there are times where he says, you know, of course you still make decisions. Of course you still make choices. Mm -hmm. It's if, if you think that you are in charge of all of it and that there, there aren't these deterministic factors that are bringing things up, uh, setting the table for you, so to speak, like you're not setting your own table, the table is being set for you. And I'm not sure I totally agree with that either, but we'll, but we'll get to that. <laughs> okay. So let's go on to the next one. What I hope to impress upon you is that the illusion of free will is itself an illusion. There is no illusion of free will. And there are no subjective facts about it to reconcile with the truths of physics and neurophysiology. The popular conception of free will rests on two assumptions. The first is that each of us was free to think and act 
differently than we did in the past. We chose A, but we could have chosen B. You became an accountant, but you could have decided to be a firefighter. You had chocolate ice cream last night, but you could have picked vanilla. It certainly seems to most of us that this is the world we're living in. The second assumption is that we are the conscious source of many of our thoughts and actions in the present. Your sense of deciding what to do in each moment seems to be the actual origin of your subsequent behavior. You feel you want to reach and pick up an object, and then you do. The conscious part of you that wants and intends and perceives seems to be in control of at least some of your thoughts and actions. However, there is every reason to believe that both of these assumptions are false. All right. So let's let's take those two assumptions. Are you cl are you clear, Eric, on the first assumption that free will is based on and the second assumption that it's based on? Sorry, I, I think I just dropped. Can you um, restate the question? I got the 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 yeah. clip, but I, I think I just dropped out for a second. Okay, so so he he mentions here that that first of all he says that there really is no illusion of free will. After all, the illusion of free will is itself an illusion, which if, if <laughs> that's a nice way to confuse people. <laughs> right oh, absolutely. The illusion is an illusion, um, but but mainly he's talking about two different principles that this free will, the idea of free will, is based on. And the first of those is what? I think the the idea of of free will, and I and I'm trying. I'm kind of reading between the lines a little bit at what I think he's trying to get at. I don't know if his language is necessarily the most accurate way of describing it, but in my in my view, what he's trying to say is the if thoughts and or whatnot are something that emerge from our subconscious or exist you know from this darker you know kind of oblivion and rise up we have the experience of making choices but when you yeah. really peel back you're you're realizing that the the options through which you're you think that you're making choices yeah you don't even have control over the options that arise in your awareness yeah and that's the second point that he, that he mentions mm -hmm. uh, the, the first point is that you could have you could have chosen something different than what you actually chose so mm -hmm. last night you had chocolate ice cream but maybe you could have had vanilla or you right. could have become an accountant but you became a lawyer instead and so if you if you're looking at the past and you're thinking mm, i could have i could have made a different choice that that actually there's there's no evidence that that's ever possible for you to have chosen anything differently than what you did and there's certainly no mechanism for you to go back in time and make that that choice then the second one is more along the lines of what you're talking about the deterministic nature of the way that thoughts arise in consciousness and the way that that these options pop up they're they're determined by prior causes that the conscious thinking self isn't in charge of and isn't putting in front of you they're they just arise naturally yeah i think he's kind of tapping into the jonathan height um in his his book um and you're the one the righteous the mind um, yes the righteous mind when he was talking about um people who had um you know lobotomies and they were choosing they would um 
a command would be given to a part of their brain that was no, or not lobotomy, sorry. Um, they had their, um, oh, is it cor corpus the, callosum? The yeah. yeah. When that got severed, they were able to give commands to one half of the brain, like stand up. And then they would ask the participant, why did they just stand up? And because the two hemispheres were unable to communicate, the, the subject would make up a story. Oh, I had to go to the bathroom. But upon further asking it, no, they didn't have to go to the bathroom. They just, they didn't know why they stood up. I think what he's talking about is the experience of, oh, I chose chocolate ice cream. That, that narration that fills in the blank kind of post hoc. Yeah. And I think what he's trying to say is that most of what we're doing with our conception of, oh, I have free will is a post hoc construction of actions that you would have made every time. But because you have the experience of having chosen it because of this post hoc narration, we have come to the conclusion we made that choice, even though in all likelihood, the choice was made by us, at least on a subconscious level, without yeah. our conscious awareness of it. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Haidt also talks about that in the context of why do you feel creeped out by certain things that you feel creeped out by? So he, he would give these different models like... Uh, a brother and sister that had sex and mm -hmm. you know asking a subject what they think about it and they'd say well that's gross okay well why is it gross and they give the reasons you know you could have kids that are deformed or whatever and they go okay well they're both on birth control they both made sure that it didn't end now now what oh it's still gross why is it gross eh, because of it. so they're always like searching for some some rational explanation to explain why this feeling arose in them but what, what Jonathan Haidt or, or the study that he was citing were, were able to show is that those stories come after the feeling arises. So, so the feeling of disgust arose first. And it wasn't for the reason that people said that it was, but, but there were subconscious reasons, unconscious reasons that then that conscious portion of the mind were just making a guess at. And that, that was the post hoc explanation for it. So I, I do think that the second part of what Sam Harris is saying is that we have the sense that we're choosing or that we have the ability to, to, to choose, but something arose that was outside of our conscious awareness or conscious control for that to arise. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And um, there's a, I'm, I'm going to butcher it. It's an Albert Camus quote and kind of why I'm, I, I probably would consider myself more of an absurdist as a, as opposed to kind of the hyper rationalists that most, I would argue a lot of philosophers are not most, but a lot is um, the quote is, is uh, man is the only animal who seems not to understand what he is. And I do think that on a, a lot of levels, we have so many things that are informing our decisions and so many of them are subconscious. And we, in a lot of cases can get almost addicted to the narration that plays out in our head to justify why we did what we did that we don't realize that a lot of what we do is biologically driven um, or um, environmentally driven um, or a combination of the two. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's, again, I, I think there's something here. I just don't, I, I don't know that I go as far as Sam does. Um, but yeah, I, I do think there is something to it. Yeah. And, and a good way to illustrate that, and I'm sure for a lot of listeners, like one of the most infuriating things is when they're told, oh, you were you chose to leave Mormonism. And 
I, I don't know about you. I don't in any way feel like I chose to leave it. In fact, every, well, you might be the special one, Glenn. Well, <laughs> I don't know. True. true that too. For me though, like if I look at all of the personal, um, sacrifices it took, it, like the rational choice would have been to stay, um, outside of the fact that I just couldn't believe it any longer, but I also didn't choose not to believe it anymore either. And so I think there's something to this idea of, um, so, you know, sometimes things are beyond our control and, and maybe the system in which we are operating is so complex. We are never going to, within the limitations of our own consciousness, we we're never going to have a full reason. And again, this is where I land in absurdism is it's, I, I take the position of, I don't think I'll ever possibly know. I'm not saying that there is, I can rule out an objective causal structure or, or choice. I think it's so complex that my brain can never fully know it. Yeah. But so, so what if, what, what if the choices that you made accumulated over time and it wasn't like, okay, I flip one switch and then boom, I don't believe in Mormonism anymore. But it's like 10 years ago, I had a choice. Am I going to read Fawn Brody's No Man Knows My History or not? Um, I'm kind of curious. So yeah, okay, I'll, I'll read it. I'll, I'll the, did I have a choice as to whether I was going to read it or not? Or was that just predetermined? And then I read it and I struggled with some things. I didn't leave the church then, but then I read uh, Bushman, uh, Rough Stone Rolling. And then I read Van Wagenen. And then I read that, you know, and I, and I just started doing, and, and eventually all of those cumulative choices brought me to the point where I just couldn't, I, I, I couldn't um, feel comfortable being in sacrament meeting or being in Sunday school anymore and wanting to share the things that I was learning. But this is an environment where that sort of stuff isn't welcomed <laughs> yeah so i was you know so it was really really an uncomfortable so it wasn't like there was a single choice that then i went out but i i i take responsibility for every step of this journey that i've ever taken and i i, I don't disagree with sam that there are um a, a, about determinism but i i think that this idea of, of agency where there are certain choices that go into the uh, the what what you're factoring as determining I I don't I don't see him doing that I don't see him making that move where there's things that I've chosen that then um, alter the options that are placed before me where I can make a choice and it, and it's still a, a constrained choice but so it's might not necessarily free anything goes but that I'm still making the choice I still have responsibility for what it is that I do. Yeah, and I don't know that he's arguing you don't. And and one thing that I think stood out to me there is, um, you know, you said you were curious to maybe read Fawn Fawn Brody's yeah. um, book, but did you choose to be curious? I, I know a lot of people who didn't, who also knows Fawn Brody's book exists, but they didn't, they weren't curious to read it. I chose and, to do whatever it took to get me in that place to be curious. I think, yeah. And, but did you? But did you? And and that's that's a I guess a deeper question is why why were you at that time in your life willing to go to that place? Was that something that you can through almost project an authorship over your life as to say like no, I was I chose to be a curious person, and so when a curious thing happened, I I knew I would take the curious route. Or were you already intrinsically curious 
and therefore when an external factor happened which was being introduced to that book's existence it was always going to pique your curiosity whether you wanted to or not so whether or not you chose that first step i don't know that that necessarily is is choice i think it's it's your nature interacting with an external factor but, that being said but, but, uh, but, and, hang, but hang on though yeah but, go ahead like, yeah. my my nature is also a result of things that i've chosen to do or to avoid like it all stacks together it's it's not like a clean cut you either are or you aren't it it's it happened over a long period of time so like this innate is this innate curiosity that i had there you know I, I i can't go back in my life and see all of the times where i decided yeah i'm going to lean into my curiosity or no i'm going to avoid my curiosity because there might be um consequences to doing it and the environmental consequences sometimes would make make me want to not be curious and sometimes they would make me want to be curious and so i was conditioned in certain ways to be more curious so that by the time the fawn brody came around i was more curious about what it said than i was afraid of the devil having any control over me or you know like wh whatever factor went into that being part of my nature i th th is also a result of different choices that i made up to that point yeah right and i i think so but also he would strip it back even further did you choose to have the capacity to be able to read that book i mean what if you were born with a lower i don't know iq and you never learned how to read did you choose to have the capacity to have that book and my father's read the book he's still he's still active believing mormon did you choose to have the book hit you in the way it hit you you know did you choose to have to have the capacity for the curiosity in the first place some people just don't have a capacity for curiosity um i think that's you know did you choose to have the genetics that would factor into you living long enough to find that book did you choose to have the genetics that would factor into you um you know being able to overcome the fear of the devil that was instilled in you in, in an early age so and so what what you're do what you're doing is you're you're giving examples of things that i really didn't have any choice over and and are you doing that as a way to then extrapolate that at, oh, out to say therefore you didn't have any choice over any of the decisions that you made? I'm 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 personally not. I I think that's the direction Sam is going, and I I think it, because you um you shared that um you have some things from inner size. I yeah. do believe that there is a way to maybe to maybe push the current of where you're you're moving but i don't believe it's like i can wake up tomorrow and just decide to be a different person unless i got a concussion i didn't say <laughs> but, that though did no I? no i know <laughs> but i i think that's a lot of the popular conception of free will i and i and this is the other problem too is sam seems to be going after a popular notion instead of a philosophical consensus so he is attacking people's perception of free will which is obviously going to be extremely wide range and it's very hard to boil down and the popular consensus of free will of how it seems other people seem to operate in free will is not necessarily indicative of the entirety of possibilities of an expression of free will so because i'm kind of i think i'm on your side a little bit where i do think i have some ownership over some of my choices um but i do th i think it is a long-term learning to interact with my subconscious uh, this is kind of going into jungian um um I, i'm a big fan of uh carl jung 
And, but I don't think it's a direct route. It's almost like tacked, tacking um, a sailboat versus rowing. I think a lot of people's conception of free will is rowing. I'm going to get from A to B. And personally, I think it's more of, I want to get from A to B, but there's no, within the, the confines of causality and environmental factors, all that kind of stuff, there is no route from A to B. I do believe in a way of working with your own currents but I still do believe that those currents are in some way um, constrained. So I could yeah. wake up tomorrow and want to be a football player. I don't have the capacity to do it. They're always constrained. There are I always agree. constraints, yeah. but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, like you, you set the table with three options as opposed to setting them with 10 options, as opposed to setting them with an infin infinite number of options. There, there's a constrained set of options to choose from. And, there's all these factors that would go, okay, I, I like the taste of this food over that food. I like the way that it smells better. I like, you know, things, things subconsciously that are, that are making me lean towards one, choosing one over the other, but there's still ultimately a choice where I go, yeah, I'm going to do that. Or no, I'm not. And like, I, I've done dieting a lot <laughs> over my, my life. I, I know that there's times where I'm staring down a Snickers bar. And I'm like, am I going to do it or am I not? Am I going to exercise my willpower here to not do this or am I going to? And it's not like I can choose anything I want. Like I can make this a bowl of ice cream with my thoughts. No, it's still a, a Snickers bar. I don't have free will to do whatever I want, but I can choose whether I'm going to take it out of the wrapper and put it in my mouth or not. That's not. And, and I think this is, you know, later when he says, don't confuse determinism with fatalism, like he's saying, you aren't, you're not fated to do certain things. It's just that the factors that you think that you have a range of control over arise outside of your ability to put them, like you're not setting the table yourself, the table's being set for you, but there's still some element of choice in there so that I can be the author of my life within constraints. I can't do anything but yeah. there's, there's a lot. Well, anyway, I, I, we're, we're, we're jumping really far ahead and, and some, yeah, of, these, yeah, keep, some of these things come up going. in other clips. So let's, let's go on to the next clip. Okay. And let me just pause for a moment. We've got, we've got two people that are sitting in, in the, the wings here. Are either of you want to jump in and say anything to what Eric and I have been talking about? Uh, I really don't have any that's interested. In the okay. Conversation. All right. Thanks, Alan. All right. Okay. Here's the next clip. All of our conscious experiences, our thoughts, intentions, desires, and the actions and choices that result from them are caused by events of which we are not conscious and which we did not bring into being. You didn't pick your parents. You didn't pick your genes, therefore. And you didn't pick the environment into which you were born. And yet the totality of these facts determines who you are in each moment and what you do in the next. And even if you think that you have an immaterial soul that somehow animates this machinery. You didn't pick your soul. The next thing you think and do can only emerge from this totality of prior causes. And it can only emerge in one of two ways. Lawfully, that is deterministically, like one domino just getting knocked over by another, or randomly. Yeah, he spends a lot of time talking about determinism and randomism um, in there, but there, there was something that he said at the beginning, and I'm trying to remember exactly the way that he worded it, that the, 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 the options that arise were outside of your conscious awareness. 
and had absolutely nothing to do with you putting them there. And that like absolute black and white statement, you had absolutely nothing to do to put them there. I can't agree with like, I, I can, I can wrap my head around this idea that I, I, I have neural pathways in my, in my brain that 98% of what's going on in my brain, I have no control over, no awareness of, and a lot of the vast majority of the deterministic factors that arise are a result of my unconscious brain that I'm not, I'm not doing, but if I decide I'm going to live in Arizona instead of Indiana, which is a choice that I made at one point, then something that happens to me two years later in Arizona, <laughs> instead of I'm not in Indiana anymore. So I put myself in an environment where now there are things that are arising that are outside of my control, but there is this connection to a choice that I made two years previously that puts me in a different environment, puts me in a different location, surrounds me with different factors. And that didn't just happen that way. That, that was a decision that I made. So there, there's still this little piece in here that he's, he's the all or nothing black and white stuff that I just can't buy. Yeah, I I do find Sam interesting in the in the sense like I I personally look up to him. He was very helpful when I was leaving Mormonism. But I do think he's also guilty of a lot of the things that I was trying to get away from. And black and white thinking, I I think, is something that sneaks into his thought process um, without his awareness of it. I, I I definitely agree with that. And kind of and and I'm not sure where I fall on that either. That that one's a that one's a rough one for me. Because I did hear an argument one time, a choice can't be free unless you're actively able to weigh the consequences of the choice. And so, because we can never know the consequence. I hate that. What say, Okay, so yeah. tell me what you mean by free. A, a, a choice can't be free. What does that mean? Or maybe I, I don't, maybe it can't be considered a, a full, mm maybe it can't be considered a full choice in the popularized conception of a choice. A lot I of times know. we I still don't know what that means. Like the idea as that opposed I, to what the idea that I have two options in front of me and I have perfect information about both. This is, this is actually something that um, appears you in never economics. Have perfect information. Exactly. Either of them. It, right. And, and, but if you look at, um, um, I, I studied libertarian economics. Um, not that I am a libertarian nor that I, agreed with a lot of what I studied, but that was part of my course load and I had to take the class. And one of the ideas in markets was um, transparency was paramount in um, consumption choice. And so the idea was that unless there was a full transparency of the consequences of said purchase, um, it, wasn't it wasn't technically a, a free decision. Um, and it can, it can distort markets, um, based on, you know, if I'm buying a, a product and it turns out that product get, uh, causes cancer, but I wasn't free to know that markets won't operate properly. Um, but yeah, man, I, I don't fully know. I, I I'm going to be honest with, I, like, I, I, there's things I, I, I feel I can speak to, but on the, in this case, it is, I think we're talking at something that is so 
difficult to separate from the experience of itself as well as the outward appearance of it um that i'm not really sure and and, and you know one of the things that kind of occurred to me as we were talking is we kind of can turtles all the way down on any of these things where we can be like, oh, I made this choice, but I didn't choose to be the person who I was at the moment the choice presented itself. And therefore, you know, I didn't choose my genes, my parents, my blah, blah, blah. From a pragmatist perspective, I, I kind of sometimes will cut through that and just be like, yeah, but I still have to make the choice um, as if. And, and kind of going back to, um, I, I love that quote. It's the Alan Watts one of like, I love ma magical toys. I don't yeah. believe in them. Yeah. I, I view the concept of free will to me anyway, is kind of like a magical toy. I use it when it's valuable for me. Um, but I don't necessarily believe in it, but I don't also necessarily not believe in it. it it's a tool set <laughs> that I can use at certain points, you know? Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I really don't know. I, I'm so, stumped. All right. So, so let me ask you this question right now. Um, what, what color is your hair? It's blonde. Why? Genetics. Okay. Who, who is, who is growing your hair and who is making it blonde right now? Right. So as an organism, me, you are. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's not anybody else that's doing that to you. It's, it's you. You might not think of it as you because you're identifying with the conscious part and you're not consciously saying hair grow now, blonde now, <laughs> you know, you're not consciously doing it, but you're doing it. And so th th this is a distinction that I don't think that Sam makes clearly enough when he's saying you didn't do it. Like, is he talking about, you know, so, so there's, I, I think of, if I took a blank piece of paper from my printer and I draw a big circle that fills up the entire paper and I say, okay, this is my nervous system. This is, this is what my brain does. Everything that my brain does is, is in here. And um, then there's this little tiny piece, like I'll take a dime and I'll trace that inside of the bigger circle, uh, this little smaller circle. That's what I'm aware of just the, the little piece of my ego, which is also part of my nervous system, but I'm just not aware of everything that's going on. And I think what he's saying is that a lot of times what's going on in your subconscious mind, what's going on in the big circle, but isn't aware of the little circle, it kind of comes into your awareness so that that little circle gets aware of it. And the little circle thinks that it created it, but it didn't create it. It came as a result of all of these other predetermined things that are going on in your subconscious, but that's still you, right? That's still you. And <laughs> so I, to then I, say, but you yeah. didn't do it. Like you, the conscious little dime, little circle, you didn't do it, but the big you still did. And yeah, I, so it's that relationship between that small egoic self and the larger inner self or higher self. And I don't mean that in any kind of a woo woo way. I just mean right. your, your true self <laughs> yeah. is doing your hair and your eye colors and regulating your hormones and beating your heart and doing all of these things, growing your fingernails, all of the stuff that is keeping your body in homeostasis that you're not doing is still you. Yeah. And I think, uh, and I think, 
Sam has a, a tendency to over-identify with the conscious self as the definition of self, and, which is a weird thing to say for a, a, he meditates a lot and whatnot. Yeah. And I think when you take a more holistic view of the self and you recognize that you are both your conscious and unconscious processes, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of the space I'm in personally. You do, I do think that there's a kind of the potential to reclaim ownership over yeah. um, both of those things. And so, yeah, I, I, I think when I hear here, and he does pay a little bit of lip service to the idea of like, you are not the you that pumps your blood. But I think right. for him, he has a tendency to over-identify with the conscious self. And um, for me, I take myself as a totality. I, I, I view myself as both the things I consciously choose to do and the things I don't consciously choose to do, which has put me into a space of making the question of free will almost... Um, is it even worth, is it even a question worth asking? Because the, the presumptions of free will usually, um, come from an over-identification with conscious, the conscious part of myself. Yeah. But, and that's where I think that what he's doing is, is super valuable to, to highlight that difference between the smaller you and the bigger you, and that there is a much bigger thing going on that we really don't know very much about, but it knows what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't have to worry about beating my heart. It's happening. I do have to worry about what I eat to, you know, like raise my cholesterol or high blood pressure if I'm going to get type 2 di- diabetes or something like that. Um, but, you know, any, anyway, let's go on to the next clip here, Eric. What do you, what do you think about okay. that? Yeah, yeah. All right. And this is where I'm going to end part one of my discussion with Eric. But if you're just getting warmed up and you want to hear more of my thoughts on free will, stick around for two extended Easter eggs. The first one is a little riff that I just created while editing this and listening back to that last clip that I shared from Sam Harris. There were some other thoughts that I had, so I recorded a little something, and that's coming up. But the bigger Easter egg is a Patreon-exclusive episode that I guess isn't going to be so exclusive anymore, (laughs) that I posted last week as I was preparing my thoughts for today's discussion. It's where I talked through a lot of that big circle, little circle, conscious self, subconscious self analogy, and I want to share it here along with another request to any of you who are listening to this podcast, enjoying it, but have not joined Patreon to help support my efforts in creating this podcast. Now, Patreon gives you a lot of extra content, but it also gives you the good feeling of helping someone who you appreciate, assuming that you appreciate what I do with this podcast. So please come and support me on Patreon and stick around for an extensive Easter egg or two. You're totally free to choose that, I promise. And as always, thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there, thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, if you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. 
Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this night. All of our conscious experiences. Is this only our conscious experiences or will this also apply to our unconscious experiences? All of our conscious experiences, our thoughts, intentions, desires, and the actions and choices that result from them are caused by events of which we are not conscious and which we did not bring into being. Okay, so if all of our conscious experiences, you know, like, for example, I'm sitting here editing a podcast, I'm having a conscious experience, I'm making choices over what I'm going to edit, what I'm going to say, how I want to respond, and you're saying that this was brought about by things that I didn't have any conscious awareness of? Is that your statement? All of our conscious experiences, all of them, our thoughts, intentions, desires, and the actions and choices that result from them are caused by events of which we are not conscious and which we did not bring into being. So I wasn't conscious of grabbing this audio and putting it into GarageBand and doing, like, I'm doing this with outside of my conscious experience? I don't think so. You didn't pick your parents. That's true. You didn't pick your genes, therefore. Also true. And you didn't pick the environment into which you were born. True, but I did decide to move to Indiana for graduate school and live there for 20 years and then move back to Arizona. I made, I made those decisions, so I've got some choice of the environment that I'm in. I, I also chose to stop going to the Mormon church, even though I didn't choose to be born into it. But, okay, let's go, let's go back to what you have to say, Sam. And yet the totality of these facts determines who you are in each moment. The totality of these facts. So the environment and my genetics determines who I am. And that's it. That's, it's just my genetics. What, what determines whether my recessive genes become active and express themselves? Well, I guess that's the environment. And I guess the environment also can extend to my own physical body. So if I'm stressed out and my body's releasing a lot of cortisol, that could be something that would uh, trigger one of my recessive genes to maybe give me high blood pressure if I didn't previously have high blood pressure. So, okay, so that's another example of environment. But what if if the reason that I'm stressed out is because I decided to watch a movie that's really scary? (laughs) And um, that's why. 
the environment was the way that it was. Or, or maybe, maybe the environment, I went to a place that I just really shouldn't have, and I put myself in a bad situation. I was in Rio de Janeiro once, and uh, the people that we were visiting said, don't walk past this place, <laughs> especially after dark, because Americans get kidnapped here quite a bit, and it's just dangerous. Don't do it. So I chose not to even though one of my colleagues really wanted to go and explore, and he in fact did, and it scared me to death, so I stayed back. And he was fine, he was totally fine. But what if I had gone and I'd put myself in a situation where there was a lot of stress and I was kidnapped, and then I had a lot of cortisol from that stress and it triggered one of my uh, recessive genes in such a way. You, you, you talk about the totality of these things being from your genes and your environment, but you don't factor into the equation that choices that we make can impact at least our environment. And by association, then whether our recessive genes or active genes are triggered or repressed. So I, I, I think that when you're talking about the totality of these things, that there's an important piece that you're missing, that you're leaving out. And that's the consequences of prior choices that I've made that then fold into this idea of an environment. And yet the totality of these facts determines who you are in each moment and what you do in the next. And even if you think that you have an immaterial soul that somehow animates this machinery. You didn't pick your soul. I think this is irrelevant. Why are you bringing up a soul? The next thing you think and do can only emerge from this totality of prior causes. Okay. It can only emerge from the totality of prior causes. And the next thing that I did after listening to you said that was to make an edit and to record this. And if I hadn't chosen to make this podcast episode in the first place, well, then that wouldn't have been an option. So in the totality of emerging forces, you have to include the consequences of choice, choices that I made previously. And not say that I didn't have any agency over whether I made that choice or not. I didn't have to make this episode. The next thing you think and do can only emerge from this totality of prior causes. And it can only emerge in one of two ways. Lawfully, that is, deterministically, like one domino just getting knocked over by another, or randomly. Okay. And I know you stick more towards determinism than you do randomism, even if you allow for an element of randomness. But in in the deterministic model where you have one domino that's hitting another domino some of those dominoes are the consequences of choices that i previously made so i i put myself in a position over time to constrain the options that i have available to me or the way that i learned it as a child in the mormon church I don't like to study and I don't like to learn Books are such a big bore I don't care if I go to school I'm not gonna try anymore I don't like to get up and I love sleeping in 
All I wanna do is to play I'll lie around the house till noon And wear my pajamas all day This was clearly before COVID When you choose the very first step on the road You also choose the last So if you don't like the end of the road You better back up You know you better back up The end of this road is to be dumb Nursery Hour. You want someone to preach to? With your host, Glenn Osland. You want religion, do you? It's sharing time. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah. You can buy anything in this world. Uh huh. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone. Hey there, Patreon supporters. Here's another sharing time bonus episode for you uh, to set the stage. Um, I've had several listeners reach out to me about Sam Harris's recent messages on free will, asking me what I think about it. So I started listening to the pot to his podcast. I haven't finished it, but I give some musings on that this morning. So you're going to hear that. And then I also got summoned by my stake president to come in for a meeting and, uh, should I tell you now what the results of it were, or should I make you wait to find out? Maybe I'll make you wait to find out. But um, it isn't what you think it is, unless, of course, what you think it is is what it is, and then you were right. But you'll find out. So that is your sharing time today. And then I'm going to end with a. Uh, I'm going to share the song with you that's been stuck in my head for the last few days. It's, there's a documentary called Fantastic Fungi, which is amazing if you haven't seen it. I highly recommend it. And they also did a, a soundtrack where a bunch of artists just contributed songs to this soundtrack. It's really cool. And uh, so I'm sharing one of the songs. It's called Heal This Land. Like I said, it's been stuck in my head, so I'm sharing it with you today at the end. So enjoy your patreon only exclusive sharing time content today and i'll talk with you again soon you're not on the riverbank watching the stream of consciousness because as a matter of experience there is only the stream and you are identical to it this is not a metaphysical statement i'm not talking about how consciousness relates to the physical universe i'm talking about your actual experience in this moment as a matter of experience you are not having an experience from someplace outside of experience. There is only experience. You're not on the edge of your life looking in. You're not sitting in the theater of your mind watching a life movie. And the feeling that you are, the feeling that you can stand apart 
from everything that's happening. And this feeling of being free to choose the next thing you do, or the next thing you notice, the next thing you pay attention to, this feeling is itself part of the movie, yet more appearances in consciousness. There's just consciousness and its contents in this moment. All right, here are some thoughts on what I've listened to so far from Sam Harris, his episode, Final Thoughts on Free Will, which I haven't finished. I have to take in chunks because it frustrates me so much. Because there's so much of what he says that I totally recognize as being accurate. But the conclusion that he comes to, I, I just don't understand the, the concept of free will that he's rebutting. You know, who he's reacting to and responding to. Because my understanding of free will isn't the same that he does. So, he, he, so anyway, this was the, the image that I had. If you picture just like a blank piece of paper, a white piece of paper, you just pulled it out of the printer tray <laughs> and you draw a big circle that fills up the entire page. Just a just a, a empty circle. And we're going to say that that circle represents your nervous system, your brain, your central nervous system your entire nervous system and think about everything that your brain is doing it's balancing your hormone levels it's uh, growing your hair it's doing whatever is happening that makes your eyes the color that they are it's beating your heart it's breathing your lungs it's circulating your blood which I guess is beating your heart <laughs> it's splitting the cells replacing replacing cells that have died it's, it's just doing so many things it's also um, as a part of this nervous system you've got different sensory organs like your your eyes and your ears which are receiving vibrational data from the external world in the form of photons that hit the retina on the eye or disturbed air molecules that hit the eardrum and you know our body translates those physical impacts into electronic signals that travel through nerves into our brain and then a, an image is rendered or some kind of meaning is generated the, the, the experience of experiencing whatever it is we experienced is created by the brain. All, all of these things are happening within this circle that we drew on the page. And now, if you, you take maybe a, a dime and you put the dime anywhere on that circle and just trace around it, so now you've got a really small circle inside of a very, very big circle. And I don't know if the, this is the right size or not, but that dime sized, pea sized thing is the conscious awareness that 
is what people talk about as your ego or your personality. And I think what Sam Harris is saying is that our experience of of life is the perspective of this small dime-sized circle inside of the larger circle. And we're really unaware of the larger circle. You know, which which one is us? I mean, we said that that big one is your brain. So that's all you, right? You're doing it. All of the thoughts that you think, all of the feelings that you feel, it's being done by this larger circle that's you. But the that small conscious part you know, we're we're just aware of what we're aware of. And usually we're getting information that comes to us, us being the small little dime-sized portion of our nervous system. It's coming from the larger nervous system. It's coming from the bigger circle. So it's still coming from us. But it's coming from our unconscious self, our subconscious self, our super-conscious self, whatever... (laughs) Whatever distinction you want to make, it's still you. It's just not the conscious you. And I, I think what Sam is doing is saying, you guys are so confused because you think that this small little circle that you are is controlling all of this stuff and that you can just make a choice and say, I want it to be this way. But you don't understand that you're, you're only responding to information that's being fed to you from this larger circle, which is interacting with everything within its range. You know, so if if you if you think about that large circle where where does your nervous system start and where does it end? So like right now I'm sitting in my backyard and I can see a a tree and a little Buddha statue and I can look up at the sky and see the clouds. Does does my circle end at the tip of my eyes or does it end at the extremity of how far I can see? Because this the the light from the clouds that I'm seeing, you know, th- these are photons that are bouncing off of that and they're hitting my retina and so then I see it I have this experience of vision so the my um, I don't know range of perception extends quite a bit further than my physical uh, senses that are there to detect it but so where do you draw the the boundaries you know there's there's sounds that i'm hearing right now that are coming from that i can hear cars driving on a road that's probably about a quarter mile away so my sense of hearing extends out you know so you, you know you 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 could think of maybe m- m- that larger circle of my nervous system ends at my eardrums or ends at my retina and that's the point where it starts to interact with the outside world 
but there's there's the outside world that's within the range of my perception and then there's the outside world that's outside the range of my perception so maybe there's a a a, a larger dotted line <laughs> that that um can take into account my experience of being alive because all of those things that are within my periphery are being detected by my central nervous system and I'm being fed only a small portion of it so that small little dime part is only aware of a certain amount because I can't focus on everything all at once I just don't have the bandwidth haven't developed that talent but the larger me, the bigger circle me, and I think sometimes in mystical, spiritual, woo-woo, whatever you want to call it, traditions, that's referred to as the higher self, the inner self, uh, the the spirit, the soul. Um, you know, we're we're. I'm really comfortable talking about that as my central nervous system. And that is my higher self, my inner self, my true self that is experiencing, it's taking in the, the vibrational experience of everything that's around me and processing, processing it to provide um, a sliver of that that my conscious awareness can engage with. And I think what Sam Harris is saying is that small little dime size you, the small you, not the big you, doesn't have as much freedom and doesn't have as much control of the world as it feels like, as it seems like. Because again, we're being filtered by the, our larger self. There really is no way for causes to arise that would make sense of this notion of free will. But I'm making a much more fundamental claim about the nature of conscious experience. I'm saying there is no illusion of free will. If you pay attention, you can see that your experience is totally compatible with the truth of determinism, or determinism plus randomness. Let's run a little experiment. But where, where what he says breaks down to me is it's, it's when he's talking about you, and you didn't do that, you didn't do that. You know, he, he does this just ridiculous. I don't, I just, I find it so unconvincing and uncompelling. This thought experiment of saying, um, think of a movie. Just go, just go ahead right now. Just think of any movie. Let's run a little experiment. Just close your eyes and take a few deep breaths. And now, Think of a movie. It can be one you've seen, or just one you know the name of, right? It doesn't have to be good, it can be bad. Whatever comes to mind, doesn't matter. And pay attention to what this experience is like. A few films have probably come to mind. Just pick one. And pay attention to what the experience of choosing is like. Now, the first thing to notice is that this is as free a choice as you are ever going to make in your life. Right? You are completely free. You have all the films in the world to choose from, and you can pick anyone you want. 
and you can pause this audio and take as long as you want. Now let's do that again. All right, I want you to become sensitive to this process. So forget the first film and choose another. And again, pay attention to what you actually experience here. What is it like to choose? What is it like to make this completely free choice? You got a new film? Okay. Do it one more time. Right? Just clean the slate, think of a few more films, and choose one. Did you see any evidence for free will here? Because if it's not here, it's not anywhere. Right? So we better be able to find it here. So let's look for it. Well, first, let's set aside all the films you've never seen or heard about and whose names and imagery are unknown to you, right? Needless to say, you couldn't pick one of those. And there's no freedom in that, obviously, because you couldn't have picked one of those if your life depended on it. But then there are many other films whose names are well known to you, right? many of which you've seen, but which didn't occur to you to pick. For instance, you absolutely know that The Wizard of Oz is a film, but you just didn't think of it. And if you thought of The Wizard of Oz, apologies, right? But you get my point. You can swap in The Seventh Seal or Mission Impossible or The Deer Hunter there. And if you're hearing this for the first time and you thought of all those films, well, then we really are living in a simulation. And it's all about you, apparently. So consider the few films that came to mind. Right, in light of all the films that might have come to mind, but didn't. And ask yourself, were you free to choose that which did not occur to you to choose? As a matter of neurophysiology, your Wizard of Oz circuits were not in play a few moments ago. For reasons that you can't possibly know and could not control, based on the state of your brain, the Wizard of Oz was not an option even though you absolutely know about this film. And if we could return your brain to the state it was in a moment ago and account for all the noise in the system, adding back any contributions of randomness, whatever they were, you would fail to think of The Wizard of Oz again and again and again until the end of time. Where is the freedom in that? It's important to see that whether the universe is fully determined or it admits of randomness, the picture is the same. Okay, determinism gives you no freedom, obviously. It would just be mere biochemical clockwork. But randomness gives you no freedom either. Okay, if you knew that your next choice of a film would be the result of a random process, some quantum roll of the dice, that would be the antithesis of what most people mean by free will. There's no will in that. And if that same random influence appeared a trillion times in a row, just by chance, you would think of the same film a trillion times in a row, just by chance. I mean, no matter how we think about causation, whether things are determined or random, or some combination of the two, there's no place for you as the conscious subject to stand that isn't downstream of causes that you can't inspect or anticipate. Everything is just appearing in consciousness. Again, focus on the experience here. You can forget about the metaphysics. Free will is an enduring problem for philosophy and science for one reason. People think they experience it 
They feel they have it. Do you experience it? Again, if it's not here, it's not anywhere. The only constraint you've been given is to think of a film. And you can pick anyone you want. And you can take as long as you want. It is likely that every other choice you have made in your life has been more constrained than this one. What job to take, who to marry, whether to have kids, who to vote for. Most choices in life are much more obviously constrained by other variables than this one. So if you're not free to simply pick a film right now, I don't know where you're going to find free will anywhere in your life. You know, he, he does this just ridiculous. I don't, I just, I find it so unconvincing and uncompelling, this thought experiment of saying, um, think of a movie. Just go, just go ahead right now. Just think of any movie. There's, there's nothing that you could do uh, that, could, that could duplicate the illusion of free will more than, than thinking of a movie. You can think of any movie. You know, you're free to think of any movie. You know, of, of course, you can't think of any movies that you've never been exposed to, that have never... <laughs> you know, because here's another part of that big circle. The big circle you isn't just everything that you're experiencing with your range of perception right now in this moment, but it's everything that you've ever experienced. Anything that's ever come into that sphere of awareness, whether you've been consciously aware of it or not, there is a record of that. There is data that's stored. And that data that's stored is it it's our, our deep storage database that anytime something new happens, we, we encounter something new our brain compares it, okay, what, what's, what's that like? What is that similar to? Well, that's similar to this experience that we had in the past. Okay, that, that and in the past, when you experienced this, you felt fear, you felt anger, you felt desire, um, you felt shame. You know, our, our, our deep storage system is filed by emotional valence. And so... I'll look and I'll see the face of somebody who reminds me, for whatever reason, there's some similar features that remind me of my uncle. And I had certain experiences with my uncle that I didn't really like him, for example. I don't really have an uncle like this. I like all my uncles. But I'll start judging this other person based on the comparison to my past experiences with this. So where is that coming from like did i did i choose to have that reaction that little dime part didn't make a choice and say i'd like to be prejudiced towards this person no it but the larger part of me that does those comparisons it made that connection and then that comes into my awareness. So I think what Sam Harris is saying, you didn't choose to do that. You don't have free will in that sense. But but to which I agree with. But then to say you're not doing it. I I don't agree with that because you are doing it, but but I'm not talking about the little dime size you. I'm talking about the big big you that's doing that. And the little you does have some influence 
you know, you know. So if if you think about the big big you that extends out to whatever the limits of your range of perception is, there's always this focal point in the center. You know, I, I say I, I can see for 500 yards. I can move that range. And that little dime-sized me can say, you know, I want to get up and I want to walk over here. No, I don't want to walk over there. No, I, I want to just sit right here. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in the car and I'm going to drive over there. Like, for, for Sam Harris to suggest that I don't have the ability to choose where I want to, to go, I mean, that's asinine. That's so contrary to the evidence of everyday life, <laughs> you know. So when he says, think of a movie, this is the, this is, you'll never have a better example of free will than right here, right now. Um, think of a movie. You see, you didn't, you didn't, you don't know how it's happening, so you didn't choose it. Well, guess what, Sam? I decided not to think of a movie. And I, you know what else I decided? I decided to turn off the podcast at certain points because I was tired of hearing it. I, I, and, and then I decided to go back to it at different times. And okay, I'm going to re-engage with it now. Okay, I've heard enough. I've, uh, I've got to turn this off right now. Like, I am making those choices. I'm making those decisions. And, and whether it's the I that is just that dime-sized I or is it or it is the coordination between the dime-sized I and the big <laughs> the big circle I it's still me that's doing it there's still freedom so it, it, it might not be freedom in the sense that anything goes but it's freedom in the sense of no one's holding a gun to my head and saying you've got to do this there is there is a a range of choices that can be made and options that can be made and a decision that's made and and I'm comfortable with saying maybe that decision's being made by the larger circle by the subconscious thing and the the dime size me only thinks that it made the decision I'm comfortable with that but I wouldn't say that that's not free will I would just say that 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 means that there's a bigger you that you don't understand there's a bigger you that is expressing its will and you don't understand all of the mechanisms for it so learn more about it you've you've recognized that there's a place of ignorance you don't know yourself very well well how how can you we we've we've been we've not been taught to really understand ourselves we're we're taught to engage in every single distraction that we can possibly do that keeps us from really understanding ourselves that keeps us focused on outward things rather than the internal processes that are creating our everyday experiences the, the things that we are doing to put ourselves in a situation where we're getting triggered and feeling angry or feeling sad or feeling happy creating great peace in our life, great joy in our life, moment to moment, whatever it is that we're doing, we're, we're so ignorant of the fact that we are doing it. And so the, the, the message that you don't have free will, that it's just determined and we're along for the ride, 
ouch, man, I just, I can't get behind that. I, I can get behind that there's a lot more going on that you don't understand. I can totally get behind that. I can get behind the, the experience of free will is illusory. Because, and I and and he didn't mention specifically the righteous mind, but he did talk about how in clinical um, situations they're able to ask a person to um, explain why they did something from the perspective of neuroscience, and a story is created to uh, justify. But it's a, it's an ex post facto story. The decision to to act was simply because a scientist sent an electronic stimulus to a certain region of the brain, which then said, okay, do this. And that's why the person raised their hand or whatever it was they were doing the experiment. And then they asked the person, why did you raise your hand? They're like, oh, I, the little dime right here, um, have to tell a story that's going to be acceptable to things that I understand, things that this person's going to accept, and constructs a story right there in that moment that isn't really why. It's not this cause and effect, this happened and then this. It's the thing happens because that big circle, higher self, inner self, true self, made a, a reaction to the environment around. And then the smaller self followed what it was the the impulse the instinct to raise the hand because the brain's doing it and they're like why are you doing this i don't i don't know i can't tell you but i but there must be <laughs> so just just like the scientist is pushing a button that's sending an electronic signal into the region of the brain i think that little dime sized person uh, self the smaller self can also push buttons that send electronic stimulus to the brain. And we do that every time we turn on the TV. We do that every time we're putting on a, a podcast. We do that when we wake up in the morning. We stand up and we go into the bathroom. You know, whatever our routine routine is, and we decide, I'm going to brush my teeth. No, I'm not going to brush my teeth. That, that That little circle is sending the electronic impulses to the different region of the brain saying, yeah, I want to do this. I want to have this experience right now. I don't want to have this experience right now. And sometimes there's conditions where I, I think when you're in a calm state, especially where that, that larger inner self is very receptive to what it is that the little, the smaller dime sized self wants to do. But then there's other times um, where the amygdala kicks in fight or flight or freeze and the brain the larger self says all right step aside dime size guy i got this and you you don't have as much control um to to make changes to it and i think this is the elephant and the rider metaphor that jonathan Hyde talks about in the righteous mind anyway I, those are just some thoughts that I've had over the, the Sam Harris thing. I, I've had several people ask me what I think about it. We're going to do an episode on this. Um, but I just thought, for those of you on Patreon, 
um, you, you, <laughs> you, you might enjoy hearing the musings of Glenn as I'm sitting in the backyard in the morning after coffee and meditation. And um, yeah, so those are my thoughts. And uh, you, you want, you know, while, while I'm here, <laughs> let me tell you another story. Because I was, I was up in Utah this last weekend with my, my 20-year-old daughter uh, visiting my mom. And um, I, I went up and, and uh, met John DeLynn and talked with him for a little bit. I haven't talked with him in a long time. So it was nice to see him. And he, he told me about Natasha Helfer Parker's uh, excommunication stuff. Because I, I, really, I, I don't pay attention to this stuff. Uh, anymore, what's really going on in the larger Exmo world. And it was so strange. You know, he told me the story of, of her getting contacts. She moved from wherever she had been living to Utah about a year ago and then got contacted by the stake president and they started initiating proceedings and yada yada. And that very day, I got a text from somebody saying, hi, Brother Ostland, the stake president would like to meet with you. <laughs> would Wednesday at 7 be a good time? And I'm like, whoa, am I? Are they are they doing something right now? Because what John told me that Jeremy Reynolds has this excommunication thing and Natasha, I'm like, okay, now they're going after the lower tier. <laughs> Have they gotten down to my level yet? <laughs> Where they're coming to clean house? And so I, I wondered, you know, how do I respond to that? Do I just ignore it? But I was so curious. I was just, I was just so curious. So I responded. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll come, I'll come to the church. I'll be there at 7.30. And that was last night. So I'm going to tell you what happened. And I, I toyed with recording it. And, and when I talked with John, he said, yeah, definitely record it. If you go in and any record it. And I, and I was planning on it, but... There was something about it that just seemed like, why? You know, like, if if I'm recording it, that means that I'm going in with this kind of combative mood. You know, like, I'm already in the us versus them mode. Um, and and maybe that's, like, I'm, I'm going to trigger, I'm going to send an electronic signal to my brain that triggers the fight-or-flight amygdala response when there's nothing else. It's just that little dime part of me that's like, all right, these are your enemy. Let's go on the attack. And I didn't feel like that, so I thought, yeah, I'm not going to record it. I'm not going to record it. And I didn't know why I was in there. I didn't know what was going on. So I'm sitting in the foyer, and it's been a long time since I've been... Well, it's been about a year, because I don't think I've talked about this. I was going to, but... A year ago before COVID, I, I went back to church uh, just to my dad's ward. I, I just went one day because I just wanted to spend some time with him on his turf in his terms. Just as a gesture and just to f- see what, is, what would it feel like to be back in there now with the changes that I've been through. How would it feel? I was curious. And uh, it was a pleasant experience. I mean, it was, it was really interesting, actually. I could I could talk more about that, but anyway, that was the last time I was in a Mormon church. So so last night I'm in the foyer and there's kids 
in the cultural hall playing dodgeball. I can hear like activities, and it j- I just felt so much nostalgia. You know, the 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 nice feelings of those nice times. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't all bad, horrible. Uh, there, you know, I, th- this is the place I grew up. Um, within this culture, within this environment. And I, I appreciated that. And then the guys come in. It was the stake president and the elders quorum president. And um, I'm kind of bracing myself for, all right, what's, what, what is this about? We sit down in the high council room and bottom line, they, they didn't know who I was. They didn't know anything about infants on thrones. They had no idea. There was, there was no kind of... Uh, disciplinary action or anything like that so they said you know we just uh rearranged the the boundaries of the stake and we were going through the records and looking at people that we haven't met and we don't know who they are and your name was on that list and so we wanted to reach out and just get to know you a little bit i'm like all right so i told them a little bit about me and they told me a little bit about them and they were the nicest guys and just so respectful. Um, I I talked with them about um, how I thought that everything is a fiction and everything is a symbol. And uh, the, the only thing that was close to being combative was when, when I, I said, you know, like if you have a group of people that says love one another and but then you you don't really love one another it's you, you talk about unconditional love as being the highest uh ideal but then you put all kinds of conditions around the love that was the closest that i got to any kind of a critique of mormonism and they both responded to it well you know and i i didn't i didn't push it on them i wasn't obnoxious about it and the state president came back and he's like oh yeah i see that all the time and he's like, you know, the, the the important thing is that we love each other and support each other. And they really believed that. Like, I, I, I was really impressed with both of these guys um, and, and thinking, yeah, I, and <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there have been people who have interacted with both of them that could tell horror stories where there were conflicts or something maybe I don't know but I didn't have that experience with them it was really really a pleasant experience and it was nice to be able to you know especially because I I talk about it so much on the podcast this recent one about anger and about being mindful of your feelings and emotions and recognizing the power that each one of us has to really determine what kind of perceived experience we're going to have. And I, and I, and I think, so, so let me finish that thought. So it, I, it, um, it was nice to be able to go into what at different times in my life would have felt like going into the, the, the den of the enemy or something like that. And to just realize that that's such a silly story I was telling myself. Um, and it's not real. There's not really any enemy. It's 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 like what Yoda said to Luke Skywalker on Dagobah, right? I mean, 
you you only have to be afraid of what you take into that cave with you <laughs> and uh so having changed my mindset and changed my heart how i feel about things really had an impact and it was it was nice to go in and, and viscerally feel that and and i think this is maybe the main beef that I have with the Sam Harris approach of you don't have free will that you you just are receiving things if you if you believe that that's that seems like it's so potentially nihilistic and depressing that so you're telling me I don't have any way of influencing my experience of this life what you know and so that's not free will as in anything goes you can do anything that you want to but within this small range of possibilities in any given moment I can choose to pick up a cup or not I can choose to stand up I can choose to keep talking like choosing the words that I'm saying right now even if I'm if, even if the I that's doing it is a marriage between the small dime-sized part of me and the larger full nervous system full part of me i i just I, my experience of living is not that i'm just a victim to whatever's happening around me and it's all been determined and i i have no say in it so such black and white absolute thinking of it's either free will where anything goes or it's nothing at all what come on you're smarter than that sam harris i think i i i can only so i make up this story that at some point in his life he had some really traumatic experience with somebody who was like well it's it's free will <laughs> He's like, no, I don't like the experience that happened. I don't like this person's explanation of free will. I'm going to show that it's wrong. And he's just like, double down, double down, double down on it so long that I I don't know. I I, I just, I, I listen to him talk about this and I'm, I get, I really get confused. So anyway, like I said, I've I've still have more of that podcast to listen to and respond to. And there is going to be an episode, uh, a, a discussion, at least one, about that coming up in future weeks. So wanted to share that with you. And just want to give each one of you a very heartfelt thank you for supporting this podcast and, and coming with me on this journey for whatever it is that brought you into Infants on Thrones, whether you really related to to Heather or... John or Jake or Matt or Tom <laughs> or Bob. I don't think anybody related to Bob. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> or Randy. There were so many. Like I, I feel like Randy was really a big attraction and a big magnet. Um, just loved that guy. And um, you know, it's a different, it's a different uh, thing now. But I, I appreciate those of you who. Uh, are willing to support the direction that the podcast is going and have um, 
reached out to me, those of you who have reached out to me and, and explained how the, the, the podcast has impacted you in your life. And you guys are impacting it too. You're impacting me. Um, and the different guests that we have on and the conversations that we have, the direction that this goes. And I hope that continues. So I, I, I want to continue to extend the invitation to any of you who would like to contribute more in um, things that you say, ways, ways that you participate. I mean, what, what you're doing in donating to the podcast is really helpful, um, like truly helpful. Like th- this is this is my main source of income right now. Ha- having having lost the job in in January and trying to build up my coaching business, it's been really nice uh, to have your uh, support, your, your patronage, um, and that's that's helped to keep me afloat during this time. So I I really appreciate it. even even though you might be saying, well, it's only a couple dollars a month, you know. And then some of you maybe only one dollar a month, but every little bit of that helps. And so I want to say thank you very much for that. And I hope that it's a value to you. I hope you're getting back at least what you're contributing to it, uh, so that you feel that it's worth it to you. And uh, like I said, if there's if there's ever any other ways that you want to. Uh, contribute with your your time, your thoughts, your ideas, your voice, Uh, please reach out and and let me know. And I just really appreciate what you do. So thank you for supporting Infants on Thrones, and we'll talk to you again later. So reach for me, let the petals of a rose bloom in its season, gentle and slow. My body is the mountain, the ocean, the river, the sand and the soil. The life giver, so come on now. My friend, speak to me, help me understand, let us walk together, take my hand and we will heal this land. Thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones.